This is the Rich Eisen Show. How you doing? Good, Dan. How about you? <laughs> no complaints. No complaints. Uh, That's good. We don't want to hear them anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap it up for this show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. That's a fact. We don't want to hear the complaints. We don't want to hear absolutely don't want to hear complaints. Absolutely not. The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Dan Schwartzman. And now sitting in for Rich. Hit the drop. It's Dan Schwartzman. Hour three, Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen on a Thursday. Sad news in the world of entertainment, by the way. The man who played Brian Piccolo in Brian's song, great football movie with I think it was Billy D. Williams playing Gail Sayers. Passing away at the age of 82. Great actor, iconic actor. Sonny, of course, in The Godfather. Sonny Corleone. Gets shot up in his car in the ambush at the toll booth. Also, of course, Elf. The guy had uh, quite the range of being an actor. He could play Sonny Corleone and he could be an elf, which is one of Will Ferrell's better movies. Man, that's sad. James Conn passed away. At first, I didn't know he was 82 years old at this point. Did not know that. What a what a career he had. Great actor. Yeah. Gonna five be kids. Four weddings. Four marriages. Five kids. That's, I mean, wow. What a, he got married at 18 first. People got married young back in the day, right? Crazy. I mean, he abridged too far in one of my, a great war movie. Man, so his son, of course, what Scott Kahn, of course, is a is a notable actor right now. He plays uh, what Hawaii Five O. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Was he in Boiler Room? I think he was in Boiler Room as well. Like that movie, man. Varsity Blues, yeah, 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 yeah. Gone in sixty seconds, yeah. A lot of movies for his son Scott Kahn as well. But James Kahn, what a career! The Gambler, Brian Song, Bridge Too Far. Dick Tracy in 1990. Don't forget that. Dogville. Elf. Wow. 82 years old. Sad. Great actor. It's, uh, it's tough when you see the uh, the legends passing away, right? I mean, I watched... What was that movie with uh, uh, Cry Macho? Isn't that the one with uh, Clint Eastwood? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. That yeah was absolutely, one, yeah. yes. I watched Cry Macho on uh, a flight. I was actually... I think it was going to the Super Bowl... In L.A., uh, back in, what was that, February, I watched Cry Macho. And I'm a huge uh, Clint Eastwood fan, not just as an actor. I think he's a a legendary director as well. Some of the movies he's done, obviously, are are phenomenal movies, you know. And uh, he's like 92 years old or something, and he's still going strong, right? But at some point, we're going to lose Clint Eastwood. At some point, he's going to retire as well. I mean, I'm watching this guy, and he's obviously very frail now. He's still a great actor, but he's obviously very frail. And every time I see him now acting in a movie, I'm thinking, man, he was the coolest cowboy ever. No offense to John Wayne, who obviously was cool, but Clint Eastwood had the look, right? I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, the you know, that, that trilogy of great movies, the Sergio Leone movies, right? The guy was just the cowboy. You think of a cowboy, it's John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. I'm more Eastwood than Wayne, but whatever. You can't go wrong either way. Yeah, and then you're, you kind of watch You're forgetting today. Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry movies. Yeah, exactly. Forget just cowboys, but Dirty Harry. And then he's continued to just have, you know, amazing movies past that into, uh, you know, his 80s and 90s now. Million Dollar Baby. How great was he in Million Dollar Baby? 
in the line of fire, right? The mule, Gran Torino. You know, his directing of, what, Letters from Iwo Jima, American Sniper. He's won, what, four Academy Awards. And look, he's 90, what is he now, 92 years old. Yeah, just turned 92 at the end of May. And he's going strong, and he continues to, by the way, uh, you know, make movies and act in movies and find roles, and that's great. But that's the one I'm dreading, because at some point, I hate to say it, because I'm younger than Clint Eastwood. I'm 43. He's 92. It's going to happen. Here you go. Here you go. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> I love that. Do you, punk? And then the guy goes, I gots to know. <laughs> Remember that? Exactly. He goes, I gots to know. <laughs> I mean, that's just great. I mean, you know, by the way, he was with his co-star, Sandra Locke, for like 15 years. They were uh, together. They were an item. And she was in a bunch of those movies, too. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, never, they never yeah. got married, though. Never got married. Listen, he had a lot of kids and a lot of mistresses, wives, whatever you want to call it. I mean, Clint Eastwood has... He uh, took advantage of being a good-looking guy and a movie star. Let's put it that way. But, uh, yeah, James Caan, another you know legend from that generation passing away at the age of 82. Man, I hate it. What can you do? Just go watch. You know what, though? They left such legacies on the screen, right? And it's uh, you can always go back and watch and see them. So, Sonny Corleone. Wow. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, Brittany Griner is still in Russia. And today, she pleaded guilty in a Russian courtroom. She has pleaded guilty. Now, a lot of that has to do with the belief that it will kind of speed things up to where any sort of a prisoner exchange can happen and bring her home quicker. Although, just because she has pleaded guilty does not end a trial in Russia. Things are different in the criminal court. Even with a guilty plea, the judge continues to go over the full case file and enter it into the record, and that could go on for, by the way, weeks or months. She's next scheduled to show up in court on July 14th. That's next scheduled hearing. And she wants time to prepare for her own testimony at that point. So she's facing 10 years in prison for bringing in vape cartridges that were that contained hashish oil. Now, here's where I'm a little... I don't understand something. So, yes, she's being paraded around in a Russian courtroom because of the fact that obviously Russia and the U.S. right now are as low as probably the Cold War in terms of relations, right? America is supplying uh, Ukraine, publicly supporting them, and Russia, of course, is fighting uh, their invasion in the Ukraine. So we are at opposite ends again, and it's bad, right? So she's obviously being used as a pawn. Now, that said... Has there been any debate as to whether she did bring in vape cartridges containing hashish oil, which, by the way, would be illegal in Russia? Now, I bring that up because of this. You know, is she wrongfully detained because there is no criminal activity that occurred, or is she being detained 
actually according to Russian law based on the fact that she did in fact bring in these vape cartridges. I don't know. Now, what she told the court is that she had packed these vape cartridges accidentally and did not intend to bring them with her and bring them into Russia. Now, maybe, I don't know. Like you've heard stories where people pack a gun, forget it's in there, they go to the airport, next thing you know, they're arrested for it, right? And sometimes it's innocent enough. Okay, whatever. But I think that Brittany Griner actually did bring in vape cartridges filled with hashish oil. Maybe. I don't know. Again, I don't think there's a consensus on this, right? Unless I haven't read something, do we know for sure that she is being set up with that or, in fact, she did bring it in? She may have actually broken the law in Russia. Now, here's the problem we have. Just because, as a country, we are more lenient toward certain laws... Maybe we restrict less. For instance, you know, weed is legal in many states now. Weed is not legal in many countries. By the way, the federal government in America does not characterize weed as being legal. That's why all these cannabis shops and stuff are cash businesses, because banks are afraid to take their money, because federally, weed is still illegal. So when you look at a place like Russia... And I don't know the laws and rules of Russia. I've never been. I'm married to one, but I've never been. Uh, I mean, I'm married to a Russian, not a Russia. But I don't know what their take on weed is. But I do believe it's illegal there. It's like you can't go to Singapore, spit on the streets, and not expect to get arrested. Okay? I don't know what the penalty is there. But you can't go to, like, uh, you hear these stories about... You know, female tourists going to UAE or Dubai and then being on the beach in bikinis and getting in trouble for that, right? Or things like that. Yeah, because it's a Muslim country. It's a Muslim country, right. Or drinking alcohol in public. You can apparently have never been to Dubai, but you can imbibe with alcohol in a lot of places. But, you know, because it's a Muslim country, you have to be weary of it and do it in places where obviously it's more allowed, right? Or it's kind of no one cares. Rather than out in public walking down the street. So my whole point is, I don't know if weed, for instance, or vape cartridges loaded with hashish oil is a serious offense in Russia, or they're making it more of a serious offense because they want to hold on to Brittany Griner so that they can trade her for high-profile Russian prisoners that America has, especially this one guy, Victor Boot, who is nicknamed the Merchant of Death. He was the world's biggest arms dealer at one time. In fact, there's a movie with Nicolas Cage and Jared Leto called uh what's that called um what was it a dog uh, what was that called lord of war it was and i believe it's based on victor boot so he was arrested in thailand and he was extradited to america and he's been sitting in an american jail and he's got the rank of colonel i think in the russian military and obviously he knows where a lot of the bodies are buried because you know where is he getting all this russian gear to sell to african countries and other conflicts around the world south america central america wherever it may be So obviously he's a connected guy. Russia wants him back. Maybe this is how they're going to get him. But the reality is, look, I do think that she's being used as a pawn. But if she, in fact, did break the law, there are consequences. Okay? You don't go to foreign countries expecting the same treatment and the same laws as what you get here in the United States. And I think that's very different. As we Americans, we, we totally forget that a lot of times when we travel. We do. But you have to be cognizant of it. Like, you have to be cognizant. I mean, we may think some places are a little too strict and their rules may be ridiculous, but that's not for us to judge, right? Or us to, uh, you know, fight. Yeah, the, uh, the, the government's not going to go get you. 
They can do so much. Like, look, I, as you know, I'm half Japanese as a kid. I went to Japan often. Now, Japan's a fairly lenient country with a lot of things. But by the way, you get caught with weed in Japan, you're going to jail for a very long time. A place like Japan does not tolerate drugs. Seriously, you get caught with drugs. My cousin from Japan came to town uh, a couple of years ago and I asked him about that. He goes, oh, no, man, you get caught with weed in Japan. You're, you're in trouble. Like, you're going to jail. Like, a serious offense. Like, we hear it's like, man, it's just weed or whatever, officer. Like, all right, slap me with a summons. No big deal. I'll pay a $100 fine, right? And then you just go back to smoking it on the street. Place like New York City, you smell it all the time because it's now, you know, it's legal. But you go to Tokyo, you, you start smoking weed walking around. You're going to jail for a, quite a while. They, 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 they take that seriously. And I guess Russia's similar to that. So all I'm saying is this. It's unfair that Brittany Griner has been used as a pawn, most likely to get prisoners from America that Russia wants. But on the other hand, did she break the law or has she been set up? That I do not know. Now, if she well, broke she the pleaded law, guilty. She pleaded no, guilty. No, but I, but again, I don't know if she pleaded guilty because she actually did it, or she pleaded guilty because that's the next course of action to get her out of there. You know, some believe that she is pleading guilty. So what that will do will it will expedite a real you know prison really you know a prisoner exchange whatever it may be a swap that would get her home and from all indications she was probably never going to be acquitted because apparently in russia you're never acquitted like uh, their conviction rate is ridiculously high the gulag where right you're going to go to the gulag in uh, in siberia no thank you so the whole point is maybe she pleaded guilty so that it sped up the process of okay i'm guilty fine Charge me. Now let's talk about how I get home and what Russian prisoner in America is going to be coming back on the flight. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's what it is. So, you know, it has been called kind of a theater, the trial. It's been like a show trial to a point. Uh, Russia wants to claim that, no, it's not, and we're just doing what we usually do. I don't buy that either. But all I'm saying, I guess, Art, is if you go to a foreign country, be cognizant of their laws on what you can and you can't do because there are many instances, forget just Brittany Griner, of tourists from not just America, but you know England as well, that go holiday somewhere and get in trouble for something that you may not consider to be a big offense. Dan, I, I spent yeah. six years as a Marine, and they, yeah. they really, wherever we were, were in the world, they really emphasized what the laws were before we went on on duty off off duty so really? when yeah when you had uh, um you know break when you were on holiday you were they drilled it into your heads that this might happen if you get too drunk or you start using drugs or right, let me ask you cuz you went to the persian gulf right yeah saudi arabia in particular saudi arabia, saudi arabia so kuwait and uh, you couldn't just walk Basra. around drinking a beer right i mean oh, you no, they probably not. told you that right like uh no, and we like we, for female soldiers, you have to act in accord. You know, I, I don't agree with it, but female you have soldiers, burkas, right? They, they, yeah, they. Um, if we were in convoy, the female soldiers who were who were or Marines who were driving the trucks or the Humvees, they had to be in the middle so that the Saudis wouldn't see them. Oh, because they're, they're not supposed to be driving. They're not supposed to be driving. Right. So that's obviously changed in that country now. But uh, and yeah, you can't just be sitting there on the corner in Saudi Arabia and Riyadh drinking a beer. Right. I mean, no, absolutely not. A, no, we, we didn't want to country. do anything to 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 mess with the Saudis and, and offend them. But you were told, right, you can't do oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So all I'm saying is, you know, look, I think 
you know, if Brittany, if Brittany Griner did in fact bring these cartridges, she thought it's no big deal. And, you know, I'm not going to blame her for thinking that because here it's not a big deal. And maybe, you know, having played in Russia before this wasn't a big deal and no one cared. And maybe that was the case. But when you're talking about a conflict and she was, what, arrested, I think, a week before Russia invaded or days before Russia invaded the Ukraine. So I think maybe they looked at it differently at that point and said, aha, we got ourselves a high profile pawn here knowing that they were going to invade. And things would obviously get nasty with the West and, of course, America. And this was a way to kind of give themselves some leverage. I do believe that Russia has obviously done wrong with her because they want to send a message or use her as a pawn. On the other hand, do not go to another country if you do not know the rules. Do not break those rules because a lot of these places you don't want to go to. I don't. I couldn't imagine what a Russian jail is like. Okay. I couldn't imagine. You look at their orphanages, they're awful. Like, what do you think a Russian jail is like? It's got to be a terrible place. I, I, I really, you know, question why she was there in the first place. I mean, do... Money. It, yeah, but, I mean... They make a lot of money to play in Russia. A lot of these, you know, the WNBA players don't make a lot. Like, I think the highest salary in the WNBA yeah, NBA but Russia, is like Come on, grand. Russia? They pay a lot. They, they, they like women's basketball. They pay a lot of money. Like... I was reading uh, Diana Tarazi, uh, I think, you know, drank a lot while she was in Russia because like, she was in a city, it was really cold, and all you do is sit there and drink vodka, right? And it was a real problem for her. But they got paid like a million dollars to like play a season in Russia compared to what they're making here. It's a lot more money. So for Brittany Griner, where she's playing for Phoenix Mercury and probably making $250,000, she goes and supplements that playing in Russia for, you know, during her off season, she's making probably another million dollars or so. So I understand that. This never has been an issue, right? This has been going on for years. For decades, uh, women players have been going. I think that's going to change now, though. Oh, yeah. Well, look at the NHL players. Look at them. I mean, a lot of these NHL players now worried about getting out of Russia, the ones who are there. And on top of that, there's the big worry about uh, this draft coming up and Russian players that if you draft them, can they get out? Big problems. All right. NBA writer for the Associated Press, Brian Mahoney. We're going to talk to him about what's going on. The latest with Kevin Durant. Any movement any talk any team kind of emerging as a favorite and the nets at this point gonna call his bluff brian mahoney's gonna join us next dan schwartzman in for rich here on a thursday it's the rich eisen show let's talk o'reilly auto parts people or as you might know from their jingle o o o o'reilly auto parts They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you Just find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets. 
at the Rich Eisen Show, and every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it, and then the all-in prices. That's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all-in before you purchase. So all the guests were is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed 23 past the hour. It is hour three. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. It's the Rich Eisen Show on a Thursday. NBA offseason continues to roll and uh, crazy contracts being signed. Chet Holmgren, we saw the first action for him late Tuesday night, I believe it was, as he opened his summer league season for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The second overall pick was absolutely lights out. He was great. What does he have? Like 23 points, 7 rebounds, 6 blocks, 4 assists, hit three po- 4 three-pointers. Uh, he was unbelievable. I think he's the first summer league player ever with 5 or more assists and 4 three-pointers. Or excuse me, 5 or more blocks and 4 three-pointers in a game. Did it in 24 minutes. And I will toot my own horn. It's just one game, but I will toot my own horn. I do recollect, uh, R. Martinez can verify this, I do recollect the last time I was in for Rich... It was leading up to the NBA draft, and I said, or it was right after, actually, I think it was the day after the NBA draft, and I said that I thought Chet Holmgren was the best player in the draft. I do believe I said that. He went number two. I thought he should have gotten number one over Paolo Bancaro from Duke, who went number one overall. I thought Holmgren was the better player, the higher upside. Look, Bancaro is a tremendous talent as well, and both of them, I do believe, were better than Smith, the kid coming out of Auburn, who did go number three. But I think in terms of pure upside, Holmgren is the best talent. I do remember you saying in that, that draft. Did you watch the highlights from the summer league game? No, Did I didn't. You? Art, I mean, he's seven feet tall. He looks like a stiff wind will blow him over, right? But he plays incredible defense. He's relentless on the defensive side. He's, he's pretty always, agile. Yeah, yeah. He's jumping up and down, blocking shots, but also his ball handling. I mean. A seven-foot guy doing behind-the-back crossovers, setting himself up for three-pointers and a beautiful feather touch. I mean, unbelievable. When people talk, you know, people compare him to Durant, and that's crazy talk because Kevin Durant's one of the greatest five to ten players in the history of basketball. But you can see it. Like, when he's out there on the court, you can see he's a white Kevin Durant. I mean, he is. He's a pale version of Kevin Durant. You see it on the court. It's impressive. He does stuff out there. You're like, man, that's a beautiful shot. Oh, wow. Look how he just uh, stopped on a dime, turned around, and just swished right through the hoop. Guy's got incredible ability. I'm just saying, it's just one game, and he's going to have his struggles, and he will get beat up because he's a very, very slender guy. I get it. But he is, man, he's good. A lot of fun to watch. The mayor of Oklahoma City apparently went ballistic watching him play. And that's a team that had success with, you know, we saw they, them, them having success the years that they had 
Westbrook and Durant and even James Harden was there for a couple of years, don't forget, before they had to deal him rather than give him a, a max contract, which they couldn't or w- wouldn't do at the time. He goes to Houston, becomes a megastar, of course. But as bad as Oklahoma City was to have that number two pick in the draft, there is quietly some very good talent on that team. Look at that roster right now, okay? Forget just Chet Holmgren. Forget just him as a number two pick and his upside. But you look, and there is Josh Giddy, who is a very young player. He's 19 years old, the Australian kid that was the sixth pick in last year's draft. He is going to be a triple-double machine and only get better. Last season, the average of 12.5 points almost eight rebounds and six and a half assists per game as a shooting guard. Now, he doesn't shoot very well. That's a problem. He doesn't hit a lot of three-pointers, but you expect him to get better and better. He's only 19. He's not going to be 20 until October, but you saw a ton of talent out of him. So you have a young guy at his age, 20 years old when the season starts. You have Chet Holmgren, who is also incredibly young as well. He is a guy that is 20 years old. There is some talent there. I'm telling you, man. Like They're not going to be great immediately. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a star, right? He's a guy that averaged almost 25 points a game last year. He averaged 24 points a game the year before that. 19 points before that. So you got some good players. And in a couple of years, I think that's going to be a heck of a big three. And a homegrown big three. Because, remember, they drafted Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, or they, you know, it was a draft, you know, they, they got him uh, from the Clippers after his first year. So you might as well call him homegrown. He's developed into this star while being with Oklahoma City. Giddy, to me, is going to be a star, and they drafted him, and he's young. Gilgis-Alexander's 23. Giddy's going to be 20. And, of course, Chet Holmgren's 20 as well. And in this draft, they went out and got themselves some talent as well. So clearly, I mean, I think this is the future is looking very, very bright for them. Very, very bright in terms of what this team could be as they move forward. Just saying, it's fun to see. It's fun to see. Like, they actually have a chance to be a very good team. And you saw it. Now, the Kevin Durant situation is fluid. At this point, there's nothing new. Nothing has changed. You know, the expectation isn't that he's going to be dealt tomorrow. But at some point, you have to believe that he will be moved, right? Like, at some point, you have to believe that he's going to be traded. I I cannot believe that the Nets bring him back, even though I don't think there's a reason why they shouldn't call his bluff. Like, Kevin Durant has not said anything publicly, right? He's actually answered some people on Twitter have kind of asked him what his problem is. And he won't say anything. Like, he doesn't answer. Like, he will do LOL and stuff like that. Or, come on, man. Things like that. But Kevin Durant loves basketball. Kevin Durant lives and dies basketball. Like, we know that that's who he is. He's a he's an absolute basketball fanatic. Like this guy wants to be in a gym and shoot the basketball a thousand times a day. That's what he wants to do. Hence, he's one of the greatest players in the history of the game. I mean, Kevin Durant has had a phenomenal career. He's won rings. He's got nothing left to prove except that he's still one of the top players in this league. And he's got a huge contract. He still has $200 million that he can make, so he's not going anywhere. But the fact is, if they called his bluff and said, all right, Kevin, like you, you can sit out, 
A guy like that cannot sit out. Kevin Durant is not capable of just sitting out and not playing basketball. He lives and dies basketball. So I'm just thinking to myself, okay, what, what happens here? Like, I don't understand what the end game will be. And for Brooklyn, they have an opportunity and they have some time to try to convince him to change his mind. He may never change his mind. He may be stuck on the fact that uh, he's got some sort of a grievance with Brooklyn. And some people believe it has to do with their treatment of Kyrie Irving, that he's mad that they did not re-sign Kyrie Irving to a long-term contract when they had the opportunity. And most likely after this year, Kyrie's gone, unless they can get rid of him before this season. And Kyrie's the guy that recruited or heavily recruited was the main reason why Kevin Durant surprisingly chose the Brooklyn Nets before the 2020 season. Let's not forget that, or 2019 season. So all I'm saying is maybe this is just his ploy to try to get his buddy Kyrie Irving a long-term deal, and he's going to play this as long as he can, realizing he doesn't have the leverage. Or, in the end, it's just going to be a case where he actually wants out of Brooklyn after playing a grand total of 90 games there in two years, and he's going to bounce. But whatever happens, look, Kevin Durant is, look, there's no denying it, Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players in the history of this sport. This is a guy that for his career, this season, barring injury, he will clear 1,000 games played in his career. He, for his career, has averaged over 27,000 points a game. He has scored over 25,000 career points. And, by the way, he's 33. He's going to play at least another four more years of that contract, wherever it may be. He's going to end his career with over 30,000 points. There's no denying his greatness, right? I mean, is anybody out there going to deny that Kevin Durant is potentially a top 10 player in this league? He's got rings, okay? He does. He's got the ring. He's got finals MVP, okay? This is a guy that has everything on the resume. Now, he might not be the most pleasant guy, and he might be kind of a quirky teammate. But overall, I think, look, no doubt Kevin Durant is a great player. Let's find out more if there's anything on that front. Our buddy Brian Mahoney, NBA writer for the AP, joining us. And, Brian, let's start right there. Kevin Durant, obviously no movement that we know of in terms of what's going to happen Do you think he's going to move this offseason, or do you think Brooklyn, who has a lot of leverage, meaning we got you for four years and $200 million more, so if you don't want to play here, you can just sit out four years. Good luck with that. Do you see them calling his bluff? Ultimately, Brian, how do you think this ends up in your book? Well, I I think they move patiently because, one, because it's just hard to find the right deal anyway, and two, because I do think there's hope that he changes his mind and says, okay, well, I don't want to go somewhere else where they have to gut the team and things aren't maybe so bad here. So, you know, if he does get moved, um, you know, one way or the other, I never thought it would happen right away. Uh, there's no reason to rush into it, and it's hard to get it done. So, uh, you know, I'm not surprised it's sort of, you know, slowly developing process. Do we know why he's mad? Do we know why he's demanded this? Has anything come out remotely close to us knowing or reason as to why Durant who seemed to want to be in Brooklyn a couple years ago, extended his stay there four years and $200 million, has now suddenly asked to be traded? Is it the Kyrie Irving situation? Do we have an idea? I mean, that's what the speculation is. Because, then, like I said, uh, you know, he seemed to want to have a long-term future here. He signed a multi-year extension last year. Uh, the idea that one year later he'd want out, uh, you know, it seems to be something 
you know, far beyond basketball reasons. And uh, certainly it seems like the issues with Kyrie Irving and between him and the Nets would have been maybe the one thing that you could speculate would, would really frustrate Kevin Durant to want to get out. By the way, I don't blame the Nets, you know? I mean, like, this Kyrie Irving situation is so ridiculously crazy. Is there a market for Kyrie Irving out there for Brooklyn to trade him? Well, you know, I, I think contract-wise he's tradable. It's an expiring contract. Um, you know, it's, it's okay, you got to deal with him for one year, still a talented player, uh, and then you make your mind up after that. Either he's gone or you extend after that. But um, as far as the off-the-court issues, certainly scare a lot of people away. Uh, there's no one who wants to rush into a deal with a guy who you're not sure wants to play basketball that much. And what we've seen with Kyrie Irving the last two years is we're not sure how much he still wants to play basketball. And that, of course, gives any team pause, no matter how talented you are. That said, though, Brian, is he a good teammate? And I ask that because we hear the speculation of he's obviously kind of a quirky guy, the flat earth situation. Uh, He took time off for social justice stuff. I get all that. But the bottom line is he is the lead recruiter for Brooklyn when they brought in Kevin Durant and James Harden, and they seemingly wanted to come play with him. So is he a good teammate from what you understand? I mean, the, the players certainly seem to indicate that. And, you know, the, the one thing that it's hard to say the last two years, you know, we haven't been in the locker rooms. We, we haven't really seen the interactions off the court at all, uh, you know, really since COVID happened. So we can only go by what these guys say, and they seem to say Kyrie's a guy that I like having around, and he's our teammate, and we're with him. Uh, so as much as that seems hard for us to imagine, like the guy's not playing, uh, you know, he's not going out of his way to be – in our mind, what would be a great teammate, uh, the indication for those guys is uh, he is to them. So we kind of have to go on that. Chat with Brian Mahoney, NBA writer for the AP, joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show. Now, I brought up Oklahoma City earlier, and Chet Holmgren had quite the summer league debut. I was a big fan of his. I thought he was the best player in this draft. You look at that roster, as bad as they are, they at one time had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. I'm not saying that's what they have now, but... When you look at what they've kind of built there with youth, with Gilgus Alexander, with Giddy, the kid they drafted last year, who's obviously a talented youngster, and now with Holmgren, are you looking at that team and saying, hmm, in a couple of years, that could be a really dangerous squad? It, it's very possible. Um, you know, they, they, like you say, we saw it once. Uh, when, you know, when you draft high every year if you or you make a trade like they did, uh, you know, when, when Paul George, you can certainly get, uh, loaded up quickly, and if those guys develop properly, and you have the right coach in place and everything, uh, it can definitely happen. Uh, you know, Josh Giddy, I thought had a great first year. Uh, so he goes Alexander, you know, I think is terrific, um, and even Lou Dort. So there's been guys that they've brought in one way or the other who have developed nicely through it, and now you get a Chet Holmgren piece who so far looks fantastic. So uh, over a couple of years, yeah, there's no reason to think it can't happen there again. In Utah, they trade Rudy Gobert. Uh, He's now with Minnesota. I want to look at both teams here. For one, you have Carl Anthony Towns, who now has that big body next to him, which I do believe frees him up. They have Anthony Edwards. They have youth there. Is Minnesota a team that you think can really sneak up on people next season? I think they're going to certainly be very good. Uh, You know, we we saw last year, that was a nice second half of the year. We saw how, you know, what a great jump Edwards made. We know how good Towns is already. Yeah. So when you bring in now another piece who seems to, you know, fix one of the problems they did have there in that interior defense, uh, yeah. I mean, the West is certainly a couple teams maybe I'd still say are, 
you know, ahead of them, but I do think they make another nice move up the ladder this year. Now with Utah, though, you know, Donovan Mitchell's still there, and I think a lot of what happens to him is determined by what happens with Kevin Durant. If Durant goes to Miami, that closes off that avenue. If Durant goes nowhere, maybe Miami does pivot and try to make a run at Donovan Mitchell. Is Utah, in your mind or from what you hear, looking to just kind of retool here? Gobert and Mitchell, of course, seem to have issues. They got rid of the guy that was older and not the number one option, which Donovan Mitchell obviously is. Or do you see a scenario where Mitchell is dealt this offseason and they're completely blowing it up and restarting? <laughs> All the above, I guess. Uh, Utah <laughs> has sort of everyone a little confused. Uh, everyone said, okay, you got to break them up. They've been saying it for two years, uh, and it's got to be you know one or the other. And now you say, okay, maybe they did. Maybe the, maybe the move was. Now they just build around Donovan Mitchell, and they, they broke these two guys up. And the other part of the equation is maybe it's a full blow-it-up rebuild, and there's no way they traded one. They're not going to trade the other now. So uh, I, I don't think anyone really knows for sure. Uh, you know, I think it's sort of a wait-and-see a little bit. They bring in a new coach. Uh, you don't want to, you know, totally – not have any players for him and uh, maybe keep that on Mitchell and see what happens after that. But uh, I would say no one is for sure saying that's going to be the final answer. All right, Brian, last question. The New York Knicks have had a very interesting offseason. They paid a lot for Jalen Brunson. Some may say they overpaid in terms of the dollars, four years over $100 million for a guy that had one nice season and one nice postseason for Dallas. They also keep talking about Leon Rose, the president of the team who doesn't speak to the media, but he keeps trumpeting the fact that they have 11 first-round picks or so the next seven years and a bunch of second-round picks as well, yet they don't seem to want to use those. They they didn't get DeJounte Murray. A lot of Nick fans thought that they should have made a run. They seem to have the draft capital to do so. What is the strategy, if anything, that you're seeing from the Knicks here as they go forward? Well, it seems to be patience, and sometimes that doesn't necessarily work in New York. Uh, no. You know, I think everyone <laughs> says, okay, it's great, great to have the picks, but then when you did see a guy like DeJounte Murray was available and it seems like he would – you know, be a, a terrific upgrade and gettable with the, the picks they have and they don't get involved, you kind of say, okay, well, this this can't be it, right? Uh, you know, Jalen Brunson, as you say, you had a nice year, but it's one nice year and, there's, you know, we're, we're not going to win with that. So uh, I think everyone says, okay, we're, you know, we're good that you have a plan, but we need you to speed it up a little bit. And I think that's sort of what probably Leon Rose expected. Uh, people don't want to wait forever in, in New York. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, they have the ability to get involved in stuff. And I think the hope of the fans is that they're going to do that, whether it be Donovan Mitchell or something else. Uh, they got to jump in and, and go for it. Why doesn't he talk to the media? What's his deal with that? I mean, what he hasn't talked to, what is I read something where he hasn't talked to the media, hasn't had a press conference taking questions in close to two years or something, right? Yeah, I mean, it can't be us, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. Do we all smell bad? I don't know what it is, but he apparently doesn't want to talk to the media. No, he's, uh, you know, Leon was always, uh, you know, even as an agent, uh, didn't like to necessarily talk, uh, you know, it's behind the scenes he preferred to do things. And that's the way he kind of wants to keep it here. But uh, but it can't be once every two years. I, I understand that he doesn't want to, you know, talk every 15 minutes like some executives probably do. Uh, but you do have to talk more than, than he has. Uh, you know, I, I think the fan base deserves that. <laughs> Uh, I think we deserve that, and, um, you know, hopefully he will at least, you know, twice a year I think is fair, before end of the year, whatever it is, but it's certainly more than he has I think is necessary and, and beneficial. You would think, right, like having a state of the team type of thing every year, nope, nothing from Leon Rose. You don't hear a peep from him if you're a member of the media or the fans. Brian Mahoney, NBA writer for the Associated Press. Brian, appreciate you hopping on as always, my friend. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you.
Great stuff from Brian Mahoney. It's amazing. Leon Rose, one of the great agents, right, at CAA. I think he built that company and uh, becomes the uh, GM of the Knicks or president of basketball operations and literally never talks to the media. It's been two years since he has actually taken questions from the media. Wow, big news coming from England and Wimbledon as the men get prepared for their semifinal matches tomorrow. Not going to be as exciting as we had hoped. I will tell you why next. Dan Schwartzman in on a Thursday for Rich right here on the Rich Eisen Show. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Wrapping up a Thursday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich. I will be back tomorrow as well. Big news coming out of the All England Club in London. Bad news, Rafa Nadal fans. The two seed has pulled out of the semifinal match that he had been scheduled to play in tomorrow against Nick Kyrgios, the bad boy of tennis, as Nadal has been diagnosed with a torn abdominal muscle. Spanish newspaper Marsa says it's a 7-millimeter tear that originally he had intended to play, but he did practice for about 45 minutes and could not practice at full speed. Obviously, listen, you know, playing tennis with a torn abdominal muscle is going to be difficult, right? Stretching your arm, stretching up to serve, uh, the back end, forget it, not going to happen. Now you kind of see why he struggled so mightily yesterday in his marathon quarter, uh, quarterfinal matchup against 11-seeded American Taylor Fritz. Nothing against Taylor Fritz, but you kind of see why Nadal almost lost that match. It's amazing he won that match having to deal with that. Now, from what we understand, he wore tape over part of his abdominal area, and he had to take painkillers. That's how bad it was before going out there and playing five sets, including a tiebreaker in the fifth. Like You have to wonder, like, If he had won that in straight sets, right, could he have been a little better for Friday? Probably not. I mean, talk about a game. I I have have to tell you, Art, I have, like, newfound respect. I'm a big Nadal fan. I think he's a great representative of tennis. You know, him, Federer, especially, more so than Djokovic. He's classy. We we love him because he's classy. Yeah, he's classy. And 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 look, 
I gotta say, for a guy to play with an abdominal tear, five sets? What was that five-hour match, whatever the heck it was? Yeah, it was long. Dude, that is respect, man. Like, how do you not respect the guy for doing that? He could have bowed out at some point and said, listen, man, I can't continue. I'm in this pain. Dude's on painkillers and still making it to the semifinals. That, to me, is a win. That's And Fritz, I think he just wore down. He, I think he was, you know, making unforced errors at the end. And, you know, I think he was just too tired. Yeah, but how do you lose to a guy with an abdominal tear? Imagine every time the doll's got a rear back for a forehand or a backhand or, or, or up to serve, the pain he's in. Like, I, I don't know what kind of painkillers he's taken, but unbelievable. Like, that's hard. Oh, so close for American tennis. I looked it up yesterday because I, I wanted to see for myself. This is a really pathetic statistic. No American man has won a Grand Slam tennis event since Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open back in 2003. We're looking at a 19-year drought, because I'm going to guarantee you right now, Art, no American's winning the U.S. Open, okay? No American man is winning the U.S. Open. It will be 19 years exactly when the U.S. Open, the last American is eliminated at the U.S. Open from the time an American won a Grand Slam event. We used to win all the time, right? Like McEnroe, Connors, Agassi, Sampras, right? I think Michael Chang won once. Roddick yeah. won once, probably should have had a better career what overall. Happened? Brooklyn Decker. And he's like, listen, man, I got the most beautiful woman. What the heck, you know? I don't know. I don't know what happened with that. But American tennis, especially in the men's side, has been terrible. Now, the women have represented very well, obviously. Serena Williams, Venus Williams. You got a really great batch of young players. Now, Sloane Stevens won a, uh, a Grand Slam. Now you have Coco Goff, Amanda Nisimova. Uh, you got uh, Jessica Pagula. You got Sophia Kennan. You got a lot of talented uh, young ladies playing tennis. The men, though, it's like Taylor Fritz. Okay, he's good. He's not world-class good. He's only 11th seed because, you know, Zverev couldn't play due to injury. And uh, Daniil Medvedev couldn't play because he's Russian. You know, and they banned the Russians and the Belarusians from playing. But, uh, you know, Francis Tiafo's 23rd round. Isner's never been good enough. You know, he's a hard server, big heavy serve, but not good besides that. He's not a, a real threat to win anything. Guys like Jack Sock. I mean, the American men's tennis right now is in shambles. And this was an opportunity. Taylor Fritz was oh so close to go to a semifinal against Nick Kyrgios, who could show up and just self-destruct because he does that often, you know. He's nuts. So, man. Ah. I'm not a huge tennis fan art, but, like, I love watching marquee matchups, right? Like, like I don't get tired watching Nadal Djokovic. I know others may say we see it all the time. I'm sick of it, right? They faced it over 100 times. And how many Grand Slam finals have ended with those two guys on the court? Okay, fine. I'm not tired of it. I don't want to see Cameron Norrie versus Nick Kyrgios. No desire to see that. I don't care if Cameron Norrie wins or if Nick Kyrgios wins. I'm going to pull for Djokovic to win. Because I want to see him just destroy Kyrgios because I, exactly. I can't stand him, right? Like, I mean, yep. did you see his press conference with the reporter? Like, look, tennis has a lot of quirky things. And there's like a dress code apparently at the All England Club where you have to wear like white. Do you hear about this? Oh, yeah. Do you see yeah. this? It's so like tradition. you have to wear white. Right. It's tradition. Now we can say it's ridiculous, whatever. But Kyrgios shows up wearing his red Jordans and his red Jordan cap. Do you see that? And after the match, a British reporter asked him, he goes, like, why do you feel that, you know, why did you wear that knowing the rules? 
And he's like, because I felt like it. I like my Jordans. And the guy's like, are you just, do you think like the rules don't apply to you? And he's like, no, I just like my Jordans. And 